0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Marriage and children are a blessing, yet both can bring challenges and hardships. Instead of leading to frustration though, these can lead to our sanctification. Randy Stinson addresses this and the culture of the family as he teaches us how to build a peaceful home. We hope you enjoy this message. I've been married to my wife, Dana, for almost 28 years, and we have eight children, and I think it's important for you to know, given the topic, that we have a peaceful home. What do I mean by peaceful? Let me tell you what I don't mean. I don't mean quiet, as in peace and quiet. Our home is not library-like. In fact, you can have a quiet home and not have a peaceful home. What I don't mean is low energy. We're noisy, we're fun, we're active, sometimes rowdy. I want you to know you can have a low energy and subdued home and still have no peace. What we're trying to cultivate in our own home is what the author of Hebrews calls the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Where there is right behavior, there is peace. And when members of a family are rightly related to one another, there is peace. I'm going to assume a Christian home this afternoon. There is no way that members of a family can be truly rightly related to one another outside of the gospel. So in the home, you have the husband-wife relationship. This is the key to a peaceful home, the way that a husband and wife relate to one another. And as they are rightly related to one another, it trickles down into the rest of the home. And I want to argue the husbands are to lead out in this. You have in Ephesians 5, Paul arguing how man should treat his wife. And he says, what man ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. And he should care for his wife as second nature as it is for him to care for himself. When he gets hungry, he eats. When he gets injured, he goes and gets to the doctor. It should be second nature. There's a way that a man cares for his wife that cultivates peace in that relationship. Colossians 3 tells husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Then don't provoke your children. And what Paul is saying to the Colossians is God cares even about the tone of a man's voice in the relationships that he has with his wife and his children. And then finally, Peter says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, reminding them that they're heirs, equal heirs with them, so that their prayers may not be hindered. And what God is saying through the apostle Peter is, care for your wife, treat your wife the right way with understanding, with care and gentleness. This is the key to peace in a marital relationship. Wives are not outside of responsibility in this, the fruit of the Spirit, the one another's of the Bible. But peace in the home starts with peace between a husband and a wife. And then there's a relationship between parents and children, developing a peaceful relationship between parents and children. This is where Hebrews 12 comes back into play. Discipline seems painful for a while, but yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is where right behavior does yield peace. Where there is right behavior, there is peace. In fact, if we hadn't always, if we always had right behavior, we would not need people like peace officers. And so discipline, and as parents train up their children, discipline is a key part of peace in the home as parents impart to their children how they ought to act and then enforce the ways that they ought to act. But Galatians 6 is very informative here because Paul writes to the Galatians, if any of you are overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. In what way? In gentleness. Why gentleness? Lest you too be caught in the same trespass. Think about the number of times a parent, day in and day out, has to offer correction to their children. Frankly, it's very easy to cultivate self-righteousness a lack of humility, but Paul is saying the key to caring in the home and one of the keys to the relationships between parents and children, one of the ways that peace is cultivated in that relationship is as you do correct your children, you do it with a spirit of humility and with gentleness. If as a parent you can avoid self-righteousness and cultivate humility in this all-important central act of parenting, you'll bring peace in the process. And then there's the relationship between the children. One of the things that challenged my wife and I most as we started out bearing children and adopting children was that we had noticed in many homes that one of the things that destroyed peace in the home was what we call sibling rivalry, covetousness between children, jealousy between children, and people had told us for years, that's just part of it. Sibling rivalry rivalry is just an accepted part of childhood, and we just couldn't believe that. I could not accept that. What parents try to do in their parenting is they try to even everything out a lot of times with their children. One kid gets a candy bar, the other one gets a candy bar. One kid gets a pair of shoes, the other kid gets a pair of shoes. One kid gets a treat, the other one gets a treat. One kid gets to go have something fun, the other kid gets to go have something And when you have just a couple, that's fine. When you have eight, that's undoable. It doesn't have, I can't even, I can't afford it. And if you think about it, parents do that because they think they're avoiding this opportunity for covetousness. How could they covet when they all are getting the same thing every time? Well, what actually happens in the heart of a child is that it builds up what I would call a sense of entitlement in the child. Then the, title, the, the child expects, when Susie gets a candy bar, I get one. I deserve one. And that actually is the exact definition of covetousness. I'm entitled to what somebody else gets. Inadvertently, we are creating hearts that are covetous. We're enforcing sibling rivalry. We have a saying in our home that inequity is the great equalizer which means really the main thing we all have in common is we don't all get the same thing at ever, ever. And so what we've tried to do in our home is create moments intentionally of inequity. Sometimes a child will come in the living room and I'll be eating some M&Ms and I'll give the kid some M&Ms and then for the distinct purpose of saying no to all the other ones that come in behind him. <laughs> and, and some of you might think that's mean. That's not mean. That's life When our kids were younger, I would travel, and I'd bring home a gift, and I would bring home a gift for one of the children. And I'd pull them all together, and I would say something like this, seven of you are getting ready to have an opportunity to rejoice with one of you. Now, it didn't always work exactly right at the beginning, because I'd give the gift to the one child, and there were a couple of others in tears. I'm so so happy for you. And... But I, I can assure you, when the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, it is one of the central tenets of health in a church and it is one of the central tenets of health and peace in the home. Because I, I, I can assure you that you can learn. You can learn how to rejoice with someone who had something good to them happen, even if that was something you had hoped would happen to you. Because that's, it. that's the gospel at work. You can learn how to weep with someone who had something horrible happen to them when you might have in the same time had the best day of your life. This can be learned. Forgiveness in the home is the key for all of these relationships. One of my biggest disappointments over the years as someone who's been a minister of the gospel for nearly 30 years is going into Christian homes and recognizing how much grudge-holding is happening, how much list-making is happening, keeping track of the sins of others. When Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 3, he lists out, starting in verse 9, the the pervasiveness of sin, and then he talks about the, the horror of sin, and then he finally gets to the worst part of all, the inability of ridding ourselves of our own sin. And it's bad news after bad news after bad news, but then, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And as believers, we know that we are covered not in our own righteousness, but what theologians call an alien righteousness, one that is not ours. It is the righteousness of Christ. And those of us in our homes that will daily preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves that we did not do this on our own, we are covered in the righteousness of another, it will produce humility in our relationships. Because I approach my wife as a husband, she approaches me as my wife, and we both know there is a mutual humility there that none of us brought anything to the table. We, both of us, are covered in the righteousness of another. Neither one of us could do any of this on our own. And it produces mutual humility. It produces in the home, which is so central to peace in the home, what the Bible calls forbearance. And my own little homegrown definition of forbearance is this. Don't sweat the small stuff. And a corollary to that is most stuff is small stuff. When we have purposed in our home over the years that as soon as we know we have wronged someone else, And parents have to lead out on this, but when we know we have wronged someone else, the first thing we do is acknowledge it. We go to that person as soon as possible and we say something as simple as this. I'm sorry I did blank. Will you forgive me? Not, I'm sorry you're so sensitive. That's not an apology. Not if you were offended. That's what we call a sports apology. These guys that get on public national television and say, if I offended somebody. Well, of course you offended somebody. You're on ESPN, Talking about your offense. When two people get married, they double the sin quotient. You have a couple of kids, you've quadrupled it. You have eight, I don't even know what, what you call that, but it's a lot. It's a lot. There are multiple opportunities going on in our home all the time. Opportunities, say the wrong thing the right way, the right thing the wrong way, the wrong tone, the wrong attitude. And what we've discovered is forgiveness is what I would call in our home the oil in the machinery that keeps the gears from grinding. Another factor in peace in our home is authenticity. We've worked really hard to live the Christian life in our home just authentically. Because I wanna be clear, we're not talking about people in our home that are just walking around with painted on smiles, faking it until we make it. Uh, this is a storm-tossed family if there ever was one. I'm not talking about faking it. I'm not talking, I'm just saying hypocrisy in the home, particularly as it is seen from children in their parents' hypocrisy in the home is a, is a cancer. It breeds disruption, not peace. It breeds heartache not peace. It breeds confusion and not peace. Some of you may be checking the box of family devotions every single night, but you're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness and patience and kindness day in and day out. That's hypocrisy. And believe me, children are professional hypocrisy detectors. We were playing a game one time in our house and we're very competitive and my daughter, Georgia, I made a deal with her on a game and I took it back and she said, you can't do that. What are you talking about, I can't do that? She said, it's a rule. I said, well, show me in the rule book where it's a rule. She said, well, it's not in the rule book, it's a family rule. Oh, so you and your brothers got together, came up with a family rule, and now you're just springing it on me in the middle of the game. What family rule are you talking about? She said, well... Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Oh, how about you going to bed early tonight? How do you like that? <laughs> <clears throat> they can see it a mile away. Don't be checking all the boxes of all these particular things that you're supposed to and then all the while living a life that won't even acknowledge. If you blow it, own it. If you said you would do it and didn't, then take total responsibility for it. Finally, I just want to finish with this admonition. You should be having fun in your home. I tell my my friends, I tell my kids, uh, we're Christians, we're just not mad about it. You should be having fun in your home. High expectation with no fun is oppressive. And if you want to have a home that lacks peace, you just make it an oppressive environment by having all expectations and no fun. All fun and no expectations is silliness. But all expectation and no fun is oppressive. So this afternoon, as I have just a few more seconds, what I would say is I do have much more to say. But as you think on these things and work out these things, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC Podcast. Visit ERLC.com for more resources on this and a variety of other topics. And join us next week as we hear about fatherhood from Eric Mason.